Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This on-air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is attorney Matt Fisher, a partner at the firm, chair of the firm's health law group, and a member of its business group. Matt focuses on healthcare, regulatory, and corporate matters and helps guide clients through the healthcare regulatory maze. You can learn how Matt and his colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting www.myrickoconnell.com. Matt, welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Great to have you with us. Well, it's great to be on and happy to be joining the rest of my colleagues and uh, hopefully being able to explain a little bit more about what all of us do. Absolutely. And we should note that we are recording this on Friday, March 27th, 2020. And we know what that means. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. Matt, you are given all this, the man of the hour right now. What do you find yourself focusing mostly on right now? I mean, kind of not too dissimilar from in normal times. It's really a variety of different questions that will pop up on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, kind of given both the fact that I work within the healthcare uh, industry and, you know, with the, as you mentioned, the pandemic occurring right now, there's a lot of questions in terms of what steps should organizations be taking to, one, keep employees around and uh, be able to still deliver services or to be able to support the healthcare industry. And then at the same time, questions about some of the changes to regulations and law that have been coming through from both the federal government and from primarily Massachusetts since we're here. But, uh, you know, for my healthcare practices, it actually ends up being a bit uh, national. So there can be questions about implications in other states, too. Absolutely. How is the healthcare industry coping with the COVID-19 pandemic, Matt? That is actually a good question, because you know, I think if you're looking at the care delivery organizations, um, you know, so thinking about the hospitals, the physician groups, uh, home health, nursing homes, I don't know if coping is even the right word. I, I think it's really yeah. just scrambling to be able to be as prepared as potentially possible with the wave that is both coming, cresting, and breaking, depending up, uh, upon which organization or what location you're in. I, I think there's a lot of concern about having appropriate amounts of protective gear, which you know is really needed for the physicians and other clinicians to, to ensure that patients can receive necessary treatment. On top of the uh, of the protective equipment is having the actual uh, equipment needed for when a patient is in the hospital or in another setting. So that's a combination of bed, uh, room space, ventilators for patients who are uh, experiencing pretty severe symptoms to really just the testing because that uh, unfortunately can still remain challenging kind of on, on the initial stages, you know, in an office or trying to you know, determine how best to have patients locate themselves. Yes. You mentioned earlier regulations being waived um, or modified, all sorts of new regulations coming out. It seems like things are happening at just a breakneck pace because this is happening at a breakneck pace. Uh, It's uh, really a little bit scary. How are regulations being waived or modified to change how care can be delivered to patients right now? Yeah. In terms of how 
regulations are being waived to enable uh, more access to care. The biggest waiver, which is both a waiver and an announcement of basically dis- discretionary movement to not enforce uh, any potential violations or sanctions, is focused around the delivery of uh, telehealth services. Yeah, so telehealth is really the highest level category when you're thinking about uh, remote delivery of care. Telehealth can include a direct audio-video connection. It can be by telephone. Uh, it could actually theoretically be by email or text message. Uh, there's also uh, what's called store and forward, where a patient may record uh, or take pictures of something and then forward that along with a message to their clinician. So all those things are kind of technological developments that have been around for a while, but haven't necessarily seen widespread adoption. What the waiver is doing now is the biggest one and the most widespread at this at the moment is Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, announcing that Medicare is really going to cover pretty much any type of telehealth visit. Medicare is really trying to encourage uh, patients being able to have a visit with their physician from their home. Um, you know, so it's allowing a visit to occur with the patient in their house. Um, they're also saying that the reimbursement or the payment for that type of visit is going to be the same as as, as if the visit occurred in the physician's office, which is a significant change. And they're also yeah, removing, they and along with that, they're removing a restriction that, you know, under uh, current regulation, the telehealth services are really mostly kind of limited to rural areas, but now it's they've just opened up the gates to allowing uh, the delivery to occur anywhere. And that's on top of, over the past couple of years, the introduction, the ability to do what's called a virtual check-in, which is, you know, for established patients, uh, you know, it's really just kind of a quick phone call between a patient and the physician to hopefully mitigate the need for coming into the office. Um, and then also some low level of what they're calling an e-visit, which is messaging-based uh, interactions. You know, so that, that's a lot of what Medicare is doing. Some states are also following, like uh, Massachusetts has one of the biggest waivers currently. And that waiver basically said Mass Health, which is our Medicaid, and all the commercial insurers need to cover telehealth the same as in-office. Uh, you know, so it's really designed to broaden the access and enable care to be delivered remotely while at the same time, you know, hopefully protecting physician practices and and other care delivery organizations from a financial perspective. So that's all well and good, and it's a fabulous development. But have you encountered organizations that are saying, we aren't sure we even can support telehealth? Maybe we can do it for some patients, but not all patients. How are organizations adapting to these modified regulations? Yeah, and actually, that is a very good point, because there are a lot of organizations out there that have been caught flat-footed by this because they didn't have any uh, technological solution or capability implemented. Uh, you know, so from that perspective, you've got the companies that actually have the telehealth platforms, you know, so the digital health companies also stepping up their game. And a lot of them are offering uh, free access for some period of time to services um, and, and really trying to do what they can to support the industry and allow the clinicians to get access to these tools. You know, so I happen to represent a telehealth, or really a digital health company that has enhanced a telehealth component to what they do. Uh, you know, so there's a video conferencing feature, and they're coming from a place of, we know this is an emergency. We know that everyone needs access to care, and they're there to support the industry. 
uh, and by the industry, I mean those who are actually uh, delivering services to patients, and it's you know they they want to help, and and I've seen that response from a number of uh, different companies that, that can provide the technological support, and you know, and, and even on top of that, it's a lot of it can be delivered without needing any type of special telemedicine platform. A lot of it just taps into the cameras that might be available in, in your desktop or laptop computers and your smartphones, you know, because a lot of it is a software-based service. So it's really just a matter of installing the app or accessing the right web page and you can get going. So I, I think from that perspective, a bunch of it is getting education and awareness out there and, and just speculating into the future. It'll be interesting to see what happens once the emergency ends and things uh, can maybe get back to normal to to see how regulations will be changed on a permanent basis. Absolutely. Right now with everything, Absolutely. with everything we were just talking about, the, the moment the emergency ends, everything is going to snap right back into place of how it was pre-emergency because That's right. yeah. the changes are all premised upon the emergency existing. That's right. We're talking with Matt Fisher, who's a partner at Myrick O'Connell. He focuses on healthcare regulatory and corporate matters and helps folks, large organizations, small organizations. You help and guide them through the healthcare regulatory maze and what a maze it is frequently. I'm Howard Kaplan. This is On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Matt, you mentioned what will happen, God willing, after the pandemic ends. We have no idea when that's going to be. But um, is there a chance, you know, you did say that things might snap back to the way they were, but is there also a chance that we may see permanent structural change for the better? Uh, Yeah, no, I do think that is possible. And frankly, I would hope that is a silver lining that comes out of this difficult time. It's almost like you're getting a a trial by fire and a testing ground to have these different ways of delivering care uh, prove themselves out as opposed to just relying upon hype and promise. I I really do think that there is going to be a a pretty widespread recognition that there are fundamental changes that can happen within the system. And while it might not be that those things can be changed immediately once things, as you said, hopefully get back to normal, but I do see the opportunity and and I'm hopeful that there will be a willingness to really think about how to get some of these changes implemented on a permanent basis. And, And I think some of the key changes would be, you know, the allowing for the full reimbursement of uh, telemedicine style services and having that access. One thing that we didn't get to talk about a, a minute ago was you know, in expanding the act, in Medicare expanding access to telehealth, but they've also announced through an, another piece of the Federal Department of Health and Human Services was the Office for Civil Rights there, which is the office that enforces HIPAA uh, or you know the the privacy and security requirements uh, to make sure that health data isn't just broadly used has said that they're going to exercise their discretion to not enforce any violations around the good faith provision of telehealth services, and explicitly said that non HIPAA compliant platforms that are non public facing, so things like FaceTime or uh, regular Skype or Zoom, like any of those that allow for video conferencing that aren't actually going to protect the privacy of data. They're allowing those to be utilized just to help for the quick access to to the video capability. Uh, you know, that piece I really don't think will continue afterwards, nor should it. 
and frankly, even right now, um, you know, kind of given what I was saying about so many compliance services stepping up and making it easy to access, I would also really encourage people and organizations pursuing um, an interest in telehealth to go to one of those services right away so that way you don't have to change how you're providing these types of services once things get back to normal. And at the same time, still doing what you can to protect uh, the privacy and security of what is usually very sensitive uh, information, even during this time of an emergency. You know, to that topic, Matt, we're kind of encountering HIPAA issues, I think, uh, pretty frequently now because this is so contagious. And, you know, what is the obligation of somebody who is diagnosed with COVID-19, it's highly contagious, about telling folks who may have been with him or her just a few days prior to getting the symptoms, or perhaps even as long as two weeks prior, that, hey, I've got COVID-19 symptoms, or I've been tested positive for COVID-19. It seems like this is just a big HIPAA issue waiting to occur, because you balance the duty that the folks who uh, were with this person who has COVID-19 now need, you know, the duty that um, they be told that they may be at risk versus the privacy of the person that has COVID-19. Just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I think there's a few different levels and and layers to that like always happens when you're when you're talking about healthcare, it's uh, you know there there is never just a, a simple answer to it. But from the one perspective, if you, taking one angle to your example, you know if you have an individual who gains the the personal knowledge that they're that they tested positive, and you would think from a maybe a moral or an ethical perspective, um, yeah. they would yeah. t- take up that obligation to alert people. Uh, and then, you know, from that personal perspective, HIPAA doesn't apply because HIPAA doesn't govern your health information in your own hands. Right. Uh, you know, HIPAA is only is limited in, in scope and application to you know, the categories of covered entities and business associates. But say you taking it from a second angle of your your physician knows that you tested positive. You know, they can't just call up everyone that you might have come in contact with because you know, that that would that would definitely be a clear HIPAA violation. But there are permissible uses and disclosures of, say, you were brought to the office by, or maybe you are brought to an emergency department by an EMT or an ambulance. From a treatment coordination perspective or, you know, other, or some other category of permissible use, they might be able to be notified. Um, There's also the ability to to notify public health uh, agencies so they can take appropriate action. Uh, and that's, again, another permissible use and disclosure. So you don't need to have the individual patient authorize that to occur. You know, so there are still, those examples are not unique to an emergency. It's, you know, those are provisions, you know, those provisions I was describing apply all the time. So while, yes, you might not know exactly who tested positive without that person self-identifying, you know, there are measures that can be taken to notify agencies or others from a public health perspective. And then taking it to the next step, and I've seen some of this discussion with some of my colleagues who represent uh, municipal clients, it's, you know, what happens if you tell that public health agency? Well, now you're dealing with state-level law. Uh, you you have you have do have provisions around privacy and confidentiality that apply to those public health agencies. But if it's in there, maybe now the state can implement some modifications or relaxations if it feels it's necessary to be able to have more specific level data to help avoid the spread of you know as you were saying a very contagious uh, illness. 
Right. No, good advice and good information. Are misconceptions about any of the regulations uh, interfering with the ability for organizations or folks to respond to COVID-19? Or at what roadblocks have there been? Yeah, aside from the, the practical, uh, you know, arguable roadblocks of just not having enough testing and enough equipment, uh, you know, obviously those aren't legal problems, but more operational. I think some of the statements around, oh, no one can get information about who has been infected or, you know, being able to coordinate care, uh, you know, those go to a lot of the common misconceptions around HIPAA and when information can freely be shared. The OCR, the, the Office for Civil Rights, issued a clarification about when first responders and paramedics can be told information. And, you know, there were no new waivers in that. It was all, you know, kind of consistent with guidance that's come out in years past of this is what it, the law has always been. And people maybe just didn't necessarily fully appreciate what was allowed or take the time to get a full understanding. And so it's, you know, kind of providing that clarity. But, you know, I think some of the other roadblocks, you know, are just the pace at which some of these changes have been announced. It's hard to stay on top of them. And if you miss it, the news cycle is going so quickly that you might not have it pointed out to you unless a very specific question is asked. So from that perspective, it's really, you know, just try and have as many people involved as possible and, you know, just ask questions and try not to go it alone, which is, I think, probably good advice with any circumstance you're dealing with, but especially now when change is happening so quickly. Absolutely. And uh, I want to uh, just switch very briefly to a lighter note. You have your own podcast. This is a real role reversal for you, and you've had your podcast for years, and we were talking about that off the air, and I've known you for years. Tell us a little bit about that and how folks can access that in trying to cope with the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, so the the show is called Healthcare de Yare, which is the two women who came up with the idea and who I collaborate with on, on the show like the nice play on words. Uh, you know, they they like picking something that sounded like a legal term, um, but you know, kind of the overall focus of the show is you know I talk with folks from really any walk of the healthcare industry and talk about you know a, a hot or interesting topic within healthcare, which is um, driven by the knowledge and expertise of. Uh, the person I'm talking to, and the format is pretty much exactly like we've just been doing. Uh, it's a nice, easy conversation. The show is also in no no more than 30 minutes, and you know, so it's a nice, easily digestible chunk. Sure. Um, and sure. it's on and it's on uh, the Healthcare Now Radio Network. Uh, so that's an internet radio station. So if you go to healthcarenowradio.com, uh, you can find the show. And then also, uh, the, well, the show airs on there for or each new show airs on there for two weeks at a time. Uh, and then after that, it becomes available as a podcast download on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, you know, kind of pick, pick the platform, you name it. And in the mo- for the most part, it's under the, under Healthcare Now Radio, but on the first platform that they've been posting on, uh, which is called SoundCloud, uh, there you can find it under uh, Healthcare De Yore. Sure. And that's, yeah. you know, the word healthcare and then D-E-J-U-R-E. What was the uh, most recent topic that you dealt with on your podcast? So I haven't actually had a recording to deal with the pandemic, but um, you know, so I'm part of the, the initial class of what's called the, the Digital Influencers through HIMSS, which is the Health Information Management System Society. So a lot of the recent episodes have been uh, interviews with uh, my fellow members of that uh, inaugural program. So there, there are 10 of us in it. Um, so I was one, uh, one recent episode was with a woman who's the chief transformation officer 
and at a company called Carium. Uh, so we were talking about remote patient monitoring, which actually kind of factors into some of this. I talked with a, another person, and I think this show is in the middle of airing, so towards the end of March. His name is Michael Rucker. Uh, we were talking about uh, active lifestyles, and he has a side interest in just happiness, the concept of happiness. So it was very interesting mm. to um, learn about that because I think he actually did a his PhD thesis on on the concept. Mm. So you know, the, the topics really are extremely varied in it. You know, so it can be regular care delivery, mental health, uh, opioid issues, which I've touched on in the past, uh, digital health. Um, so it's really anything that might be interesting, and if you know I can find someone to talk about it, I end up talking about it. Sounds great. And one thing, we all need a big dose of happiness right now, so we all need to go and listen to that program, <laughs> definitely. Today's guest on On Air with Myrick O'Connell has been attorney, and still is, Matt Fisher, a partner at Myrick O'Connell, chair of the firm's health law group and a member of its business group. Matt focuses on healthcare regulatory and corporate matters and is being called probably night and day by his clients. Would uh, would that be a correct statement? You're the man of the hour right now. Yeah, no, I think it's really just trying to support everyone as best you can. And there are a number of operational and regulatory questions coming up. But I think it really is a team effort among all of us uh, within the firm because it's, you know, I think I referenced it towards the beginning, but, you know, there are questions about what do we do with our employees um, for uh, the practices that might be slowing down. So it's, I know my colleagues like Bob Kilroy or Amanda Bear, who are, I think was the first uh, guest on the podcast uh, involved. And, you know, I think we're all just recognizing that people need the support and want to make sure that legal issues aren't diverting time and attention away from where it's really needed right now. Absolutely. And you can learn more how Matt Fisher and his colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Supreme Judicial Court. Matt Fisher, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us about this, you know, very serious and intense crisis right now. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be able to talk and uh, hopefully if anyone has questions, just reach out and uh, we'll try to help as best we can. Absolutely. And how, uh, good segue, how can folks reach you? Yeah, uh, so my office line is still good, even though I'm working remotely at the moment. Uh, so that's 508 uh, by email, which is just M. Fisher, and Fisher is F I S H E R at MyrickO'Connell.com. Uh, and then I'm also pretty active on social media. Uh, so usually on Twitter, uh, my handle there is at Matt, M A T T underscore R underscore Fisher. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're doing so much. I'm Howard Kaplan on behalf of Myrick O'Connell and attorney Matt Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Stay well. Take care. 